mini episode 1483 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. In terms of looking at uh, the double or nothing pay-per-view that we have uh, coming up here, uh, I will start with the pre-show and that I have ranked these in what my order of interest is worst to first and I would guess that it probably mirrors a lot of the ROH uh, fans. The funny thing is is that uh, I might actually put this opener if it were on the show instead of the pre-show. I, I might actually rate it close to middle of the pack. You have Hookhausen against Tony Nice and Mark Sterling, smart Mark Sterling. And uh, the whole Hookhausen uh, storyline uh, has been a very interesting one. It, it could have been one that could have been damaging to Hook, but the way that everybody was really kind of, uh, you know, getting behind the notion of him acknowledging Danhausen, I mean, it's worked out thus far. It's been a good way of, of keeping Hook in something. I mean, the thing of it is, is that, I mean, he he's on this quasi-Goldberg-type push, right, where he's just plowing through everybody that he wrestles and everything like that. And it's far, far, far too early to put him in any kind of serious big-time programs, much less for a title. So this feels like a good sort of diversionary way to kind of keep his heat going, tie it together with what's there for Danhausen. And uh, it, it, this has actually been a good rehabilitation of Tony Nese in here because, you know, I'm at least a little bit of a Tony Nese mark. Uh, he was a guy who unfortunately got lost in the shuffle not long after his debut. But I think they've done a good job of heating him up for this program. Uh, I think they have done an excellent job of heating up for this program, and um, this match is going to be just some good old-fashioned sports entertainment fun. It's going to be, you know, you have you got Dan Housen there, very nice evil, yes, and Mark Mark Sterling are going to offset each other on the entertainment value, and it's pretty much just going to be um, just destroying Tony Nese, in my opinion. You know, if you're going to continue with the... Um, giving him the uh, TAS 2.0, 2.0 push. I mean, you have to go that way, right? Right. That's the way they're going. That's exactly how I see it playing out. And everyone goes home happy. Oh, wait a minute. We have an actual pay-per-view that follows that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, maybe that goes first, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, by the way, and as we talked about, uh, you know, previously in going through explaining stuff like this, like, I don't know exactly how you would do an explainer video on Danhausen, but here's the thing. You could do one and lean into the absurdity of it, right? And just have maybe people, like, making, like, inaccurate guesses about him and everything like this. Like, there should have been something like that for Danhausen as opposed to the whole thing of, like, you know who he is. Because, I mean, like, I did, but, again, do any of your casuals know? And, like, Danhausen's actually a guy that I could see some of the casuals potentially getting into. So... It's, pro the, the, it's probably too late to do something like that for him, but if they ever sign anybody like Danhausen again, and I'm not sure exactly who in this universe is like Danhausen, but that's something they ought to do, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree with 
it, there was a little bit of the uh, ball drop there, especially the fact that he couldn't wrestle. So just like, you know, just do this whole, like, who the heck is this guy kind of thing? Other than just like, I mean, when, when Dan House and Davey, they get that clumped in with the uh, best friends, he just seemed like another guy. I don't think he should have been just dropped in with those. I don't care if they were, you know, they worked together on the Indies or anything like that. I think, you know, they should have just done vignettes. <laughs> that him sit there. Because you could have done so much stuff with him. Him just sitting there having Dan House and just talking about how he's here to get all the money. And yeah. You know, having <laughs> his whole thing. And then have everyone, like, kind of trying to guess where who he is and where he's from. Heck, have, you know, have people just make up stories. Well, I would agree. The absurdity of like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, Dan Housen once, do like a thing where Dan, tell us how Dan Housen once wrestled in 19, how he once, uh, um, Chalice Lou says, or, or Frank Gotch <laughs> in 1935 for the championship or something. It, it showed black and white footage of like Dan Housen sitting in the crowd, and that's how like, you know, he learned to, just, just go, it, it, it's absurd. The whole gimmick is so absurd. Go all the way with it. You know, if you're not if you're not limited by the uh, like, I mean, let's face facts, we're never going to see world champion Dan Housen. Right. So you know, just if you're not, if you have no limitations, go as far as you want with it. But for you know, the fact of what they have now and how they've done it, and there is quite the interest between you know, these two are feuding over a bag of something started over a bag of chips, and him not being able to curse someone. Tell the whole story of like where the curse comes from. Right. Who he learned the curse from, you know? Right. Well, he got it from, he, he learned it from, ah, yes, Dan Housen uh, was taught by uh, King Curtis Iakea back in uh, 1965 <laughs> how to curse his opponents. Yes. The great Kevin Sullivan, you know, just make up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what I wouldn't pay to see a, a Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan thing of him coming out there with him one of these weeks, that would be amazing. I never knew I needed to see that till you mentioned it. Which, speaking of absurd, Dan Housing debuting in Cleveland, or uh, Cleveland, Ohio here, at Beach Blast on January 26th. Beach Blast, ladies and gentlemen. But by, by the way, one more thing I don't ever want to see in AEW ever again, and that is unsanctioned losses when somebody is on a big push. They did it last year with Britt Baker where she dumped it to uh, Thunder Rosa before the... Uh, right before winning the world title. They at least could have spaced that out better. Adam Cole takes an unsanctioned loss about six weeks before he... Oh, he's the undefeated number one contender for the world title. Please stop with no, that stuff. Yeah. yeah. If I saw it, it happened. Well, that's it. And like, oh, it was a, it was a lights-out match. Just just stop it with that. That's If, if I'm going to make a serious criticism, that's one that I would actually make. They need to, They need to get away from that. I understand you want to set up rematches for down the road. They wanted to set up the, the Thunder Rosa-Britt uh, Baker rematch once once Britt had been champion a long time. There had to be a better way to get from here to there. Uh, you know, even though, again, there was good heat on that program and everything like that, but I, feel, I felt like it hobbled Adam Cole. He went into that program with a big loss. People knew that Adam Cole wasn't dumping the title that soon anyways. It just felt like a lame duck program. But uh, speaking of lame duck programs, uh, this was one that was just set up on about a week's notice. I'm going worst to first here on the pay-per-view. The worst match in terms of consequences and everything else like this, the biggest foregone conclusion of them all, Jade Cargill, the TBS champion against Anna Jay. And uh, again, this is a thing where they had to take somebody that hadn't been eliminated from the uh, Owen Hart Cup tournament, I guess, and uh, Anna kind of fit the bill. 
on that. The whole thing with Jade Cargill and people, I think they're less critical these days about the AEW women's division. I think they see that it's improving and the treatment of it's improving, and that may be somewhat connected to apparently Kenny Omega's back working as an agent backstage, even though he's not healthy enough to be on TV again. Kenny Omega always had a good handle for booking the women's division and working with that kind of stuff. But everything they're doing with Jade Cargill with the whole Goldberg push. I mean, I talked about it with Hook, but this is seriously the Goldberg push. This is Goldberg in like the middle of 98 type push. And it is coming at the expense of the rest of the division, Jake Digman. They need to build somebody up sooner rather than later that can be taken seriously as a contender to her and, yes, even beat her so we can get past this stage of her career and the rest of the division doesn't look like a bunch of ants with a monster towering over it. Man, we're going to disagree on this one because I am all here for the Jade Cargill. Uh, really? Goldberg monster push. Okay. I'm absolutely loving it. Okay. I don't know. Maybe this ties into the uh, MMA side of me on this one, and I know there's not like apples and oranges, but I like the idea of you, know, you have someone who's like this unstoppable monster that's pulling through. I do agree that they do need to create something as a threat because much like Goldberg, once it gets to a certain point, people are going to be like, okay, well, then he's just going to beat everybody. So do, they do need to develop more because now it pretty much just seems like, you know, her opponent of the week kind of thing. Like, I mean, I think they could do something with a, uh, I'm not saying she should win the title from her, but a Nyla Rose, you know, that, like, you know, here's like, you know, this other beast, the native beast, as someone they could build up to go for that. And then, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm going to throw out a name out there as the one who I think is going to be the one to unseat Jade Cargill. And might be a little surprising, but I'm going to go with Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, because she needs something to do after, you know, they're not going to give her the women's, the world championship anytime soon. And uh, as far as, you know, she's established as the face uh, for the longest time, she was the face of the women's division. And I think that someone, you know, eventually you get to that match, and it's someone that, you know, could defeat Jade Cargill, and then we'll get the uh, full-on babyface turn of DMD, and then, you know, you could do the whole build-up of the, whatever that runs down, the waiting room, is that the name of her faction? Right. <laughs> to feud with the baddies. Um, but, yeah, and, and there's no shame in that, because it just shows, like, hey, Jade got all the way to this point, except for, like, you know, once she met someone who is, and quite frankly, the, the longest reigning women's world champion, should be someone better than that. Heck, have her go through Sheeta, have her beat Sheeta, and eventually, uh, that being Jade, uh, pronouns now, that being Jade, beat like, all the other former women's champions until she gets to Brit, and that's when Brit just kind of steps in and is like, okay, and then, you know, and it gives Brit something to do, and then we can, as you said, transition to a different story for, for Jade going forward, other than being, you know, Goldberg 2.0, but as for as far as, as it's happening, I'm on board. I don't know. I just, Jade, just kind of watching her develop and grow as a performer is something I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed since she first debuted telling Brandy Rhodes where she could go stick it. <laughs> yes, uh, I agree with that, and uh, that was a great moment. I want to say this, and this is, I'm, I'm going to take what you built on, because I, I think her and Britt Baker is, is a good way to go. And the one thing I will give Tony Khan credit for booking is he's willing to go in daring different directions. And it's now you could argue, and we'll get to this a little bit later on with, with Sammy and Ty and that kind of crap. It's like, uh, okay, there's daring, and then there's not knowing when to rein yourself in. 
But most of the time, Tony is doing daring in the right way with his booking. And here's what I do. I do it like the first part, the first chapter of the Midnight Express Tully and Arn feud. You know what? You throw them out there. Jade is getting just as many cheers from the fans as Britt is. I say you put the two factions out there, and I would keep them on an island from the rest of the women's division, because that way you don't prejudice the crowds. Let the crowds decide, Jake Digman. And even if it's 50-50, that would be a different kind of dynamic. I think in the end it would come down to Britt being the, the fan favorite and turning face uh, eventually here, but I'm not 100% sure that she would be more cheered than Jade, because Jade is getting the invincibility cheers out there from fans. So it's... I'd let people the, like a winner. Yeah, people like a winner. I'd let the people decide. I'd do it like the early part of Midnight's Tully and Arn, where they really, truly just let the chips fall where they may before they turn the Midnight's face. That's how I'd do it, Jake. That's how I'd play that program. And I can't argue with that. That would that would be definitely amazing to uh, do, and we'll be talking about Brit shortly here. I teased this. This is my second least anticipated match of the pay-per-view, and uh, we're, we're taping this ahead of the last Dynamite before the pay-per-view. I will say I think it's pretty shameful that I don't think they've necessarily solidified everything uh, it was mentioned on Wikipedia, for whatever that's worth, that it is going to be a mixed six-man tag, but I don't think it was confirmed on TV yet. Uh, Men of the Year and Paige Van Zandt against Sammy Ty and Kazarian. Talk about the odd couple team there. And uh, there's, I had like a fever dream kind of a thought here of that like if you wanted to get, you know, uber heat on as many participants as possible, if you had... Sammy and Ty do a turn on Kazarian and join up with Men of the Year in America's Top Team. I don't know if that's the direction you want to go, but if you want to get everybody involved getting the douche cheers that they should be getting at this point, that's how you do it. I assume they try and play it straight, and uh, Sammy basically continues being Cody version 2.0 in this promotion of, of trying to get cheers when uh, that is a futile endeavor. That's just a stupid match. It is. I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand at all either. Uh, They've turned I, repeatedly. I can, the, I can see. I can see like the other mixed tag match, or whatever they talked about that. I can see that. Okay? Right. There's a few there, and I can. I just like you're like the only baby face in the match is Kazarian. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the only logical finish is that Sammy and freaking Ty just walk out on him. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be some kind of a screwball kind of a deal like that, I'm guessing. And that, uh, you know, you might get a couple of moments of uh, Paige and Ty uh, tying up, but that's uh, probably about all it's going to be. Which, by the way, too, this is a thing where I, I just want to say of, like, I know that AEW tends to give a lot more kind of free reign to their wrestlers than WWE does, but this is a thing where, I mean, this was all kind of predicated based on all of, you know, Sammy's social media stuff and playing up all the lovey-dovey stuff with Ty Conti and everything like that. Like, where, you know, like, people were not supposed to be turning on him, right? Like, he was supposed to be, he's got the great baby face offense. Maybe he's a little bit too much of a smug prick sometimes to be a face, but he's got the working style to be a great face, and people were really behind him and everything like that. But him being apparently kind of a douche in real life, or at least on social media, let's just say, kind of forced them into this whole kind of dynamic. 
And yes, maybe he and Ty will get enough heat together to justify them being heels, but she was a great, you know, underdog baby face kind of working her way up. She she worked really, really well as, as a face. And again, she could lean into the whole smug asshole kind of thing herself as she's been kind of doing. But I look at it like with both of them, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And that's where, again, I feel like Tony giving them the free reign to just go out on social media and do what they're going to do. I, I feel like they back themselves into a corner here because, you know, enough of the hardcore fans seized onto the social media stuff and started booing him. And rightfully so. I mean, uh, okay. And, and again, we're going to go with if it's, if it's on the television program, it's canon, correct? Right. So you have Sammy Guevara, who not very long ago proposed to his longtime girlfriend in the right. ultimate babyface move, right. who wasn't in the industry. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to knock Pam, but let's just say she's not Ty Conti. You know, she was like, you know, the girl next door, you know, she supported him to pick a thin, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, he gets a chance to hook up with this super hot bride that's a television star, and he just kicks her to the curb. Like, you know, like, just yesterday's news, we don't, we don't know the, the, all the details behind it, but true, if true. you're watching it, that's how it comes across, basically, like, he just traded her in for, like, you know, he traded in his, uh, you know, his, I hate to use the car metaphor, but, you know, the, you know, the reliable one that's been there for him the entire time, uh, for this new, sleek, sexy sports car. Every guy's gonna hate him. Yeah. You know, every woman's gonna hate him. You're gonna be like, dude, you, like, you know, you just kicked her to the curb because you had a chance to go, go for this girl here instead, now we're supposed to, like, you know... Six months ago, you were doing the super ultimate baby face and proposing to your longtime girlfriend, you know, made a point to put it on television, and then now all of a sudden you're like, nope, this this uh, Brazilian chick has come along, and, you know, I got this fling that, now, there's no way that he's not, like, you know, just, his face just, I don't know, he has a face that just screams heel to me. I'm sure he does all those flippy moves, that are like, apparently that's what makes you, and I get, you know, the flippy moves makes someone a baby face, but sometimes I'm like, you know, I just look at it and go, no, cut, I mean, if you want, double down on being a heel, cut out those flip, the, the flippy stuff that gets, you know, the cheers, be like, I could do this, it'd be great, imagine standing the bar, climbs on the top of a ladder, or not, not, not really, he's going to do, like, a 450 plunge or whatever, because, nope, it just jumps down and kicks the guy. Well, that's instant heat. <laughs> You're taking away what the people want to see. And at the same time, I mean, like, you know, and you have Ty Conti laughing on the outside. They just need to separate them from the Dan Lambert thing because there's the other heat magnet that's going on. And, and by the way, there's somebody who I think could benefit from going away for a while. Uh, his this stick, when he first came in, it was like, you know, it was getting some, like, really, really, like, solid heel heat. But now it's just like, okay, you're just part of the show. So I, it's me personally. I just think he's somebody who, who needs to go away until they have a reason, a reason for him to come back, as opposed to okay, you're on the show this week because this is your thing. I just think uh, um, diminishing, well, diminishing returns, in my opinion. You're you're probably right about that, and that uh, Dan Lambert, you know, when he's at his peak of having the right opponents and material and everything like that, gets nuclear heat. I would agree with you that uh, you know. Uh, less is more with him. Save him for the programs where it can really matter. And that's a great point in terms of Sammy, because again, you know, we don't know what the real story was with him and his fiance, but it, the, the the appearance, like you said, is that he threw over his fiance for Ty Conti. I mean, as as unfair as he thinks that is for people to think that in real life, 
the timetable makes it look that way. Plus, being super flirty with Ty Conti on his vlog, uh, going back to when he was engaged, of course it looks that way. Uh, so, again, that's a thing where, again, if you don't want people to think that, maybe you don't put out all this, you know, tongue-down-the-throat stuff with your next fling five minutes after you broke up with your uh, fiancé. That's an excellent point. And as far as the mismatch between his working style and his face, it almost takes me to, uh, I, I think it was when uh, uh, Austin was interviewing uh, Shane Douglas on his podcast. And he was like, he was like, damn, Shane, you, know, you had that great baby face working style, but then that asshole personality. So it's like your personality was a heel, but you had the working style of a face. Maybe we got the same thing here. By the way, how's, how's my Steve Austin impression? Okay, listen, horrible works too. This is, a, well, this is an entertainment medium, Jake Digman. The next best thing to it being great is it being horrible. And maybe that is better than it's horrible. <laughs> I, I, I'm, amazed, I'm amazed that they, that they catch Luke Hawks on, uh, Luke Hawks on uh, Young Rock and didn't call Rick Morris. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, well... We, we got we got a lot more uh, juice out of talking about these first two matches than I thought we would. We move up to my third least anticipated match, even though, again, it should be great action, but uh, I don't necessarily think that the psychology match of the night is going to be Hardys versus Young Bucks, but I love the way that the Hardys were, I'm sorry, the Young Bucks were trying to sell this, like the tag team of the 2000s versus the tag team of the 2010s and 2020s. Tag team of the 2000s. Isn't that like the Beatles being the band of the 70s because of the work that Paul McCartney and John Lennon did separately? I mean, I, like, how much did the Hardys do in the 2000s together? It was a couple of years, and they were great years, but it was 2000 to 2002, and then, what, briefly in 2006? Like, come on, man, they weren't the team of the 2000s, as great as they are, and again, It'll be a great spot fest, but as we always joke about with the Young Bucks, uh, psychology will be nowhere to be found. Uh, I agree, and unfortunately, here's the other problem with this, too. The Hardys are old. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and even in the times of which, like, you know, we've seen Matt Hardy almost get concussed and, like, you know, knocked into next Tuesday when he was uh, in that match against Sammy Guevara on pay-per-view where he was legitimately out. And you, can't, you only have so many, so many uh, bumps in the bump card, and I'm pretty sure Jeff Hardy's getting close at, uh, at his age have, have used up all of those uh, those bumps in that bump card. But, you know, they'll use smoke and mirrors. I think it's going to be the young bucks bouncing around off the Hardys. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, it's a pick em, I guess. Because I really don't think that at this point, I, I, I think we're going to see where the, the young bucks are going to be transitioning more into their backstage roles mm -hmm. as opposed to being, or being like, you know, in the trios. I, I, I just don't see them being like, you know, they have to be the face of the tag team division, the face of the promotion. I just don't see that being really a thing. And if you look at how they've been booked, really for like the past year, they've kind of just been there, you know? I just think that with a better storytelling, other than the Young Bucks just walking in going, hey, we all analyzed you. Like, they could have been building to this from the very beginning when Jeff Hardy debuted. Right. AEW and built up to it and the fact that we didn't see all the matches with him now because it's like now you see oh, okay Jeff Hardy has definitely lost a step and you know, quite frankly he obviously had lost that step in WWE too but WWE did a because of their style a job of uh, better job of masking it 
just because they, they have a more of a toned down style. But in this style here at AEW, where you know it's kind of more you know, everything goes, I just think it's going to get to the point where it's like, I mean, I hate to say this, but I don't really care who wins this. I mean, I guess you know the Hardys are your new investment, so I guess you know try to get as much mileage you can out of those two guys while you can. Um, but for the most part, I just think that there's going to be a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, you mentioned before that, uh, you know, Darby isn't on the show. Sting's not on the show. I can see, you know, them getting involved, uh, Brandon Cutler or, um, or whomever else um, that's associated as, like, uh, with the Young Bucks. Maybe even an excuse to bring in a Jay White, you know. I just throw a name out there that have some kind of affiliation. But I, I, at the end of the day, I think it's going to, you know, it, it's going to be it's going to be a spot fest, as it were, and you know, um, it'll be entertaining. But I don't think it'll be as entertaining as you know, 2016 ROH Hardys versus Young Bucks. But I still think it'll be entertaining nonetheless. No, I would agree with that. And in terms of how this is going to go, I, I think it's going to be uh, the Young Bucks going over because I think they're going to be at the top of the card, near the top of the card, longer than the Hardys. I think they could still get their other, you know, Hardy matches. I mean, you'll still see Hardys and FTR. You'll still see the other matches we need to see on a tag team basis, whether they win this one or lose this one. What I don't understand is, you talk about the style of AEW. Of I've seen it with both, you know, Darby Allen with the bump that he took onto the chairs off the ladder, and equally bad, the one that Jeff Hardy took. It was either off the top rope or a ladder or whatever, Flat back onto the steel steps. I I don't I don't get that. I don't get how like how's your back not broken in half? Like literally broken in half. I I don't I don't understand. And, and again, it's just how dumb have you got to be to to volunteer to put yourself through this kind of stuff? And a guy like Jeff Hardy who developed a crippling drug addiction to deal with the pain of the style. I I just that's what doesn't make sense because he doesn't have that to fall back on. Any other guy out there might just be, oh, I'll take a Viking and after the match I'll be okay. Jeff Hardy knows that's not an option, and he goes out there and risks crippling himself anyways. Like, two and two does not equal four on that one. I completely agree with you. You know, so, again, it'll be a fun match. It'll it'll be a car crash, uh, to be sure. Uh, a car crash in, I think, a better, more controlled kind of a way. House of Black versus Death Triangle. And uh, we're, we're really starting to get to the better matches on the card here. The fact that I have this one fourth from the bottom shows you that uh, this, this may not have been the most intricately booked pay-per-view that they've put on over a period of time as far as long-standing, you know, heat feuds and anything like that. Th this is one of the hotter feuds that they have. They've been building this for a while. The fact that Ray Fenix is just coming back from, you know, being out, uh, that kind of prolonged the kind of build-up to this. So, uh, again, my guess is that uh, you're going to have Death Triangle go over in this one because uh, they are uh, relatively protected uh, within the, uh, the company and that they can have good to great matches near the top of the card, uh, you know, really all three members of it. Then again, House of Black, and like I had said when we did the AEW macro level look, I'd like to see them in ROH because I think they need a jump start of some sort. It's possible Tony Khan looks at the outcome of this match as being uh, a, a, uh, that, that jump start for them. The thing of it is, is how do you do that without seriously diminishing the heat uh, of Death Triangle? Since, you know, in this promotion, most of the time you do have the faces end up winning the feud. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I just want this feud to end. <laughs> mm-hmm. It feels like it's been going on for eternity. And if it comes down to, like, I kind of I like your idea, you know. have Because uh, that's a thing, too. Even with a, you know, um, Death Triangle going over, and they can go on, you need to focus on the newly minted um, uh, trios titles. You can just have, you know, Malachi Black come out there and do a thing where he's talking about how they have to learn and they can do, like, you know, we learn from our defeats or whatever, and then go on their separate ways and do whatever they're going to do with them. If, even if that includes, you know, a stint in Ring of Honor or something like that. Um, but we, we were talking about uh, the people who come in, man. If there's somebody who has like taken a quite the fall, Malachi Black when he debuted, you know, he thought he was going to that incredible feud going over Cody Rhodes. You know, he thought he was going to get an opportunity to be a, you know, one of the. Uh, um, top guys in the promotion to get a chance you know I remember you back when he was Aleister Black and Tommy Ed we were at the show when he debuted at NXT and you're like that's Tommy Ed and I'm like who the heck is this guy <laughs> and then telling me back in the day like you know one of his top uh, when Paul Heyman was booking Monday Night Raw how it could have been you know you were, you were very singing the praises very highly of Aleister Black about you know it could have been the Drew McIntyre push could have possibly have gone to Aleister Black and I said to you then and I'm going to reiterate it now I don't see it I don't see why I'm supposed to care about this guy. I mean, he's got fancy tattoos and he talks a bunch of mumbo jumbo, but other than that, he doesn't do anything for me. I'm like, I don't, I don't, uh, maybe it's me. Am I missing something? I don't know. I just, I mean, it's like, okay. And unfortunately, again, this is just my opinion. The same reason that he left uh, WWE, he was lost. You know, we didn't really have a choice. (laughs) He left because they fired him. But he was, you know, lost in the shuffle. And AEW, he's just another guy to me, lost in the shuffle. I've been hearing all these things about how, you know, Malachi Black is so great. So, you know, with his kickboxing background, he's something I'd be, I would, it sounds like something on paper, somebody that I would absolutely want to get behind, but I just, I don't see it. It's just like, yep, he's there. Here's the thing with him. I think it was wrong time, wrong place, because what's fascinating is I never watched Roads to the Top, but I saw one of the commercials for it, and it was when when Cody gave like the worst promo of all time, the uh, the one setting up the Agogo match. Like I don't Yes, and I don't think this was Tony Khan mugging for the reality show cameras, but in that commercial, Tony Khan is visibly wincing. Like, oh my God, he might have just kneecapped himself. And he did. And Malachi Black comes in on the heels of that. And he's supposed to be the uber heel in the promotion because he destroyed Cody Rhodes. And to say it was mixed reactions is probably being kind to Cody on that one there. So Malachi Black came in to destroy a character that a lot of people were ready and willing and wanting to see get destroyed. And I think that hurt him. I've always felt like he does a very good job of conveying his dark aura. So I give him a little bit more slack than you do. Brody King, I think, fits into that. What I question about the three of them is, is that, I mean, they're having Buddy Matthews go out there and mean mug with them to try to fit in. But, like, he's always struck me as just being, like, a very good technician and, yeah, you could say intense or whatever, but it's like I don't get the dark vibes off of Buddy Matthews uh, that I do of the other guys. I feel like it's a try-hard kind of a situation putting him in with them, and I think, now again, it could be one of these things where if you want to break him off in a way, that's fine, but I don't know if Buddy Matthews is a natural face either, so I don't think that that's necessarily the scenario, but 
the whole booking with the House of Black, that's where I think going to ROH to try to get a refresh could be good for them. Yeah, I, I, I can't argue that, you know, come up with something that's, uh, especially the fact that we look at it, and I, I hate to say this, but um, uh, WWE Edge stole their gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> like, they just did. They took it right off from underneath them. Yeah. And, like, and, so, and, and say what you want to about WWE and how they do things, Edge is a far better performer than um, Malachi Black, in my humble opinion. Well, and uh, you've also got uh, Damian Priest. Orator, I guess you could say. And yeah, Damian Priest who could work. And yeah, I guess the far better orator, you know. uh, I don't know as far as like work rate goes, but as far as like, you know, like telling their story. I don't know. I just, unfortunately, it makes makes House of Black now, which is really sad that their gimmick got ripped off. And it got to the point now where before I said that, you know, that. Judgment Day was like House of Black Light, but, you know, Edge just is a much better performer when it comes to that, that sports entertainment style, which is what I feel House of Black is doing. I don't yeah. know, it, it, just comes across, it just comes across as less than, I guess, yep. and I think it might be time to uh, like change gears a little bit. Yep, they kind of flipped the script on it as far as uh, who looks like the lesser version, no question about it. Uh, it seems to be an immutable law of AEW that uh, the Jurassic Express must do three-way tags on a pay-per-view, because for the second time in a row here, they've got one, because uh, they didn't have a program built up uh, for them. So they get thrown into the whole feud with Team Taz, and what I am calling, the, the, this is my name for the other tag team, Strictly Business, with those two guys. So <laughs> <I like that. laughs> Thank you, thank you. And uh, I think that this is a thing where you talked about it when we were looking at the macro level of AEW previously about Jungle Boy and how, needing that extra kind of element there. What they, I think, are building to is the feud with Christian Cage. Christian Cage is going to turn on him. It's going to be, and uh, now they've established it a year-long thing of him being his mentor, mentor versus student kind of a thing. I'd like to see this in the end where it was a very, very rushed kind of a coda in Mid-South but one of the great uh, pupil-teacher storylines of all time was Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA. And in the end, they did a reveal of where Wrestling 2 was like, ah, I did it just to try and toughen you up. So I'd like to see that of where it's a heel turn by Christian Cage, but sort of a pseudo-heel turn that six to nine months down the road, you know, they end up letting it go full circle after Jungle Boy's gone over. But that's the good, I think, hate kind of filled feud and where he's having to cut his promos on his own, not standing next to Christian Cage, who's providing the intensity. I think that's the feud where he kind of grows up, if you will, and I think takes that next step. And I think it's coming, and I think it basically comes in the form of Team Taz walking away with the win via Christian Cage. Oh, you think that Team Taz is winning the tag team titles? I think so. I think this is where it happens. I actually... I disagree. I think that the uh, I think that Jungle Boy and um, and uh, Luchasaurus retain the, the tag team championship here. I think it furthers the dissension between the trio, and I, I like where your head is at as far as like the feud with, with uh, Christian Cage and Jungle Boy. However, I would like to add a, another wrinkle into that. I have for long wanted to see the dinosaur just kick Jungle Boy's head off, take the mask <laughs> off, and be like, "I'm not a freaking dinosaur. I'm a man." And then having, um, a, and then have Christian Cage as like the mouthpiece for whatever you want to do. The Christian 
forward as okay. like his new gimmick. And then you kind of have, because I mean, we don't know that he can talk because he's never talked. He's a freaking dinosaur. So, but I just think the whole, that can, there's only so much shelf life in that, you know? Like, he never talked in, he never talked in Lucha Underground, so we don't know that he can talk, but I can see, like, you know, and then you push him as, like, a seven-foot-tall badass that's here to, like, you know, the muscle behind a Christian Cage, you can talk to him, and then that leads into the feud of, like, you know, Christian can be like, I took everything from you, you know? Yeah. You can even even deliver the line of, like, I took everything from you. He's like, (laughs) he can do the line of, like, you know, you were like a son to me. And of course, that leads to him be like, I already had a father, and it wasn't you. Wow. Something of that. Levels. uh, Levels, man. Levels. That's incredible. Levels, you know? Uh, and it gives something to do with the, the it gives uh, you know something for Luchasaurus to do because you know I can only you know, I feel like it's on its course. The dude's seven feet tall, pretty much. You know, make him into something other than just a lackey, for lack of a better term. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's he's just there. I don't know, but I I think this is the start of that. The only reason why I say they don't lose the titles to um, Team Taz nor. Um, uh, uh, what'd you call them? Strictly business? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's way too many better established tag teams that are in AEW that should be the tag team champions. And this, as soon as they announced this match, I was like, I'm not interested in this. These are two, these are, the challengers are four guys that are just, you know, I guess you could say Team Taz is a team, is I guess a tag team, but not really. I mean, they're not Red Dragon, they're not FTR, they're not the Young Bucks, they're not the Hardys, they're, they're not even Darby and Sting. There's just way too many that have been established already that I just feel like the Tag Team Championship would take a huge step back by putting it on either one of the makeshift teams. I think, you know, keep the titles on Lucha uh, Lucha Boy. <laughs> Lucha Boy. Keep <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Jurassic Express and then further the dissension and then eventually, you know, they once they lose the Tag Team titles, when, um, uh, which I think should be sooner than later, with Jungle Boy, you know, in its typical babyface fashion, gives it his hundred percent, gives it his all, comes up short, and then that's when the turn happens. Okay, uh, that, that's that's a possibility. I do think whoever takes the titles off of them is going to drop them to FTR, and I could see that happening. Maybe Team Taz dropping them to FTR by the time of uh, All Out. I could see that maybe being the case. So that that kind of furthers my thought that it could happen here, as far as the belts uh, coming off of them. Luchasaurus, by the way, I don't remember what beer company it was, if it was Modelo or whoever it was that did the most interesting man in the world, but if they ever brought that back, Luchasaurus, a guy who's almost seven foot tall, does a dinosaur gimmick in pro wrestling, and in real life, I think he has a master's degree in medieval studies. I mean, that might be the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> it's not, it's close. Yes, he's, he's way up there, no question about it. Uh, next up on my uh, power rankings, as we move towards the top of the card here, Thunder Rosa, the women's champion against Serena Deeb, the professor. And uh, again, this is a thing where more so than most matches on the card, the outcome is not in doubt. This is to continue to build Thunder Rosa as a strong champion. Serena Deeb is uh, basically, this is sort of the epitome of her coach role here, making it up to number one contender and being in there to put over your women's champion. It should be an excellent match regardless. And uh, maybe, just maybe, I'm wondering if uh, Deeb goes to start cheating or doing something like that. Maybe if you see Sheeta come out of the crowd, 
because uh, even though, again, as much as Deeb allegedly won the feud at 3-2, to two, something tells me that we're not done seeing that yet. Uh, and uh, so I don't know if she ties into the match to keep Sheeta from cheating or, or Deeb from cheating or not. But uh, I think everybody would realize that Thunder Rose is going over here, but it uh, could be a hell of a match and should be between these two. Yeah, I think it's going to deliver as far as the match goes. I think it's going to be a fantastic match between the two of them. And I have no problems with uh, the possibility of Sheeta coming out of the crowd. Um, however, I, I just hope they come up with something interesting for Thunder Rosa to do coming forward, because this just feels thrown together to me. It does, kind of, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. There are a couple matches on this card that feel thrown together. This one feels less thrown together than uh, Cargill and Jay, but, uh, you know, that's kind of a low bar for as, as utterly thrown together as that one was. Uh, next up, uh, I have the other women's match here that we haven't talked about yet, uh, the Owen Women's Final, which, by the way, a, a bone to pick with AEW you should not be the week of the pay-per-view, I think, setting these matches up. I, I think you should have everything set before your go-home show. That's just where I'm at here. So I think the semifinals in both of these brackets should have been settled by last week. The fact that they didn't start the tournament until May 15th uh, is you know, indicative of that. They should have, I think, started it earlier. The women's final is going to be either Tony Storm or Britt Baker against... Uh, Ruby Soho or Chris Statlander, and uh, the the best guesses that I've seen out there is that uh, Ruby Soho and Britt Baker appears to be the popular kind of pick for what the final is going to be, and I assume then that it would be Ruby going over because it would be a way to kind of heat her up after, again, she came in really, really hot as I predicted, uh, her getting that song was an excellent part of her act. The, cl the crowd loves singing along to it, and, and why not? It's one of the funnest entrances out there. But, uh, you know, as much as Britt Baker loves doing the work shoot comments about you've been stuck in catering this whole time, uh, she kind of has been for a long period of time. So my guess is that Ruby goes over, and this is what kind of makes her and gives her a little bit of a second life here. And Maybe heats her up to be a strong contender to uh, Jade Cargill. Who knows? But, uh, again, my guess would be Ruby uh, taking it. And I think if it's Ruby and Britt, I think it'll be a better match than it was at Arthur Ashe. Because that match felt a little bit kind of rushed going on when it did. It was the main event match. Nothing was going to follow, uh, you know, Dragon and Omega. But... Uh, that match kind of underwhelmed me a little bit. I think this one could be better uh, if it's if it's them. I don't see it being a bad final match regardless because you've got four women who can go and they're really going to want them to shine in the final match of the tournament. Um, I'm going to agree with everything you just said, and let's also uh, reiterate the fact that um, Chris Statlander wasn't in the tournament to begin with. Yes. And I don't think they're going to put an alter into the finals. And, right. I mean, and just a rehash there. And, and the fact, I completely forgot that the, the one meeting between uh, Britt and um, Ruby Soho was that very brief, uh, uh, very much rushed women's championship match at Arthur Ashe. I think they get a chance to go to take it back and deliver a what both competitors are capable of, and I absolutely agree that they have to do something with um, Ruby Soho, because after that impressive debut where they were talking about, like, you know, everyone's her to get an opportunity, she has, unfortunately, just been hanging out catering. So, Britt's, let's, let's face it, Britt's established. Right. So I think it's time now that Britt, you know, gives back a little bit, and, um, 
you know, we see uh, Ruby Soho go over, wins, becomes the uh, Owen Hart from the women's tournament wear. And then hopefully that leads to perhaps something with Jade or even something with Thunder Rosa going down the line. By the way, I want to run this by you. This was something that I saw somewhere online. Uh, that somebody was throwing out there, and which is vague as hell, but I, I can't, so my apologies to, I don't remember if this was on a message board, it, it, it might have been maybe in the comments section at Cage Side Seats, I don't remember, but uh, the idea of for the Owen next year of as much as AEW doesn't want a tour, what if you did a tour of like two or three weeks in the spring and you could do the men's and women's brackets where it would be like the G1, and basically, that would be something, once you've got a streaming service, you could just put it right on the streaming service here. You could just put all the different nights that are on there, and you do the tournament as sort of like a standalone thing outside of your TV. Maybe one or two of the matches here and there would be on TV, but you basically would use like your only real tour of the year over a brief period of time out there in the arenas to do it that way. Your thoughts? Because I love the idea. I absolutely love that idea, and you know, um, especially you know, moving forward with the uh, um, with them getting a hopefully some kind of a streaming deal. Uh, streaming's all about having content, and that would provide absolutely great content. And not only would it give um, a establishment for the old one, it would also be kind of a little love letter to the old uh, um, the Jim Crockett Memorial Cup too back in the day. So yes, I, I'm all for that. Yes, I thought you would be. I am as well. On the men's side, uh, it's a little bit more clear-cut at this point. Just one semifinal to go. Kyle O'Reilly or Samoa Joe versus Adam Cole. And, uh, again, I feel like you couldn't go wrong either way with it being this, although we all know it's going to be Joe at this point. It's going to be Joe versus Cole. I'm pleasantly surprised Kyle O'Reilly made it as far as he did. I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised to see in places like pro wrestling only that uh, there are some folks out there that uh, don't like Kyle O'Reilly and, uh, and, and or uh, Red Dragon as a whole. Uh, I'm all about Kyle O'Reilly and Red Dragon. They're, they're two of my favorite uh, elements of uh, AEW. So whether it be Kyle in singles or as, as a great tag team with Bobby Fish. Uh, but again, pleasantly surprised they let him go as far as he has as a single, much less putting him over Jungle Boy. It's going to be Joe versus Cole. It looks like it's going to be Cole that's going to be getting crowned here as a little bit of a make good for putting over Hangman Adam Page as decisively as he did in that program. And I think it'll be a good investment. The thing that's very interesting is when, when we set up for the, as we were talking about uh, previously here, the super elite implosion that's coming, that's going to be Cole and Red Dragon uh, as the heel side of it, clearly, against the original elite getting back together. The thing of it is is that Adam Cole, uh, he may have a little bit of a heel working style and everything like that, but, I mean, this is a guy who gets cheered more than most heels in the promotion, and that's a thing where having to keep him heel for an, at least another year or so before you turn him, I just wonder how sustainable that is business-wise as far as getting the most out of him. I, um... I am a hundred percent agreeing with you that that's probably what's going to happen. What you just uh, what you just laid out, however, it's not what I want to see. 
Um, so yes, the armchair, as a, I guess, fantasy booking. I actually would much rather see Kyle O'Reilly go over Samoa Joe after the. Uh, I mean, we're going with the whole Jay Lethal and his group, which uh, costing Samoa Joe the match, which would then lead to adding one more match to the show, being Jay Lethal versus Samoa Joe, because that's like the natural feud. But I do agree that they're probably going to end up somehow costing them the match, or costing Joe the match at the pay per view. I'd much rather just see Kyle O'Reilly and uh, Adam Cole have a one on one match, and I know they're heels, but to do it as like scientific as possible, have a like a, an homage, I guess, to Owen, like Owen B. Brett in a way, mm. and then I, I just for something different would love to see Kyle O'Reilly go over. Just as like, you know, as an idea of, hey, we're establishing a guy with this. Again, Adam, I don't know, man. Ever since he's come to AEW, I have never been more disinterested in Adam Cole. I don't know if it was him losing to uh, the whole feud with uh, Orange Cassidy when we were there at, uh, in Cleveland. The whole felt forced feud with uh, Hangman Page. I don't know. There's just something about Adam Cole's run in AEW. I feel like he's like, hey, you're telling me this guy's great, but uh, maybe it's akin to the whole Malachi Black thing. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I get what you're saying, and I understand it, and I, I, I can see them very much going that way with it. I just think it has an opportunity in, in this tournament, you know, to make somebody, and you can make Kyle O'Reilly by having him pick up the victory. But again, fantasy booking. I uh, <laughs> very much see them going with the safe route and uh, having it be Adam Cole in the finals and going with you know the. Uh, the uh, 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 Red Dragon helps him win. Meanwhile, Joe goes off to do his feud with Sanjay and uh, not great colleague. So, <laughs> I mean, just me. I would just like to see this as, you know, not go with, like, what is the expected outcome. And even have, like, you know, them shake hands and Adam Cole's happy for Kyle O'Reilly, but it plants that seed for long-term storytelling down the road where it's like, yeah, I beat you, you know. You're a mean guy, but I beat you. Well, that's very interesting. Two thoughts on that. One is, uh, as far as the new giant of ROH, my favorite nickname that I've seen for him is Great Value Kali. And also, (laughs) is that great? Yeah, that's that's accurate. (laughs) And also, uh, how triggered is Bret Hart going to be when a huge, avowed Shawn Michaels fanboy like Adam Cole ends up winning the Owen. Your thoughts? Nah, I mean, there's give some Brett something to complain about this week. <laughs> that would be uh, very interesting uh, to see his reaction when and if it's, that comes it, about. It, it, I'll give the match a four out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> what a great inside reference. What a what a, what a great one. I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever seen anything special about Paul, if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's amazing. Working our way up to, what are they calling it, Arena Anarchy, uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society against Blackpool Combat Club, Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz, two-thirds of the Blackpool Combat Club as Wheeler Yuta is over on a tour of New Japan. I think this is going to be a great match. My expectation is that JAS takes it because you look at the pace of Jericho's past faction feuds. Usually it's the heel side going over early. I expect that to be the case here. I'm going to say I'm a little surprised they're shooting their wad bringing the uh, Blackpool Combat Club into it this early. I know 
that Kingston and Santana and Ortiz needed backup. But I thought they were being very subtle about the pro wrestling versus sports entertainment thing. And in recent weeks, there was less of the BCC talking about pro wrestling. So I was like, oh, they're saving that for down the road. Maybe once the Blackpool Combat Club expands a little bit, to, then it could be a five-on-five. Five. But no, we're at the point already where they're being involved into this. And I think it's going to be a very interesting long-form feud. It could go potentially even into the fall, I would say, at this point. But uh, I think it'd be an excellent match here. I don't know that it's going to be necessarily the best use of somebody like, I mean, it will be for probably Moxley. I don't know so much about Danielson, but uh, I mean, not every match that Danielson does on a pay-per-view is going to be, you know, four or five stars. So it should be very entertaining nonetheless. I think this is going to be the next step. I think, uh, I, I think that um, it's going to be uh, the, uh, the JAS goes over in this one, but not leading, but not, they don't hit a blindfold combat club member. So it's either going to be, uh, Either Kingston or one of the uh, one uh, Santana or Ortiz. My, 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 I lean towards Santana for some reason. Takes the fall on this one, and then I think this is just the next step that leads towards uh, these, these five men going at it in blood and guts. Yes, I think blood and guts is going to happen at some point, and maybe that becomes a part of. I know they probably wouldn't want to save that for all out because. The two matches, the cage, all of that, that's kind of janky for the rest of the card, right? Remember how they... they... I, actually, I actually thought it would have been Blood and Guts would have been perfect for this show. Double or nothing, two rings. I thought, I thought it kind of wrote itself there. But, well, you know, I, that's just me. well, maybe, maybe. But my, my guess is they get to that. Maybe that championship week in July, uh, maybe some other type of blow-off that happens at uh, All Out. There, There is a thought... If they have the blowout prior to Arthur Ashe, we'll get back to that. I'm going to, I'm going to put a thumbtack in that and come back to it because I have some thoughts about what I'd like to see Kingston do at Arthur Ashe based on how the rest of the card goes here. But uh, the next one up here, second from the top on my list of anticipated matches, MJF Wardlow. Again, the outcome with Wardlow and Sean Spears to finish setting up the pay-per-view on this week's Dynamite, is inevitable. That said, again, this is the nitpicker in me. I'd have rather seen it be last week. I don't like to see the go-home show being where big matches for the pay-per-view are still being decided. That's just the nitpicker in me. And uh, they, they've had time to be able to space this out a little bit more. But uh, I'm expecting it to be quite a spectacle. And we're at a point in time here that's very interesting because when you're hearing MJF and, you know, clamoring for, you know, the next contract and, you know, payday and pay me what I'm worth and everything like that, that coincides with when he is having to start to give back in this part of his career. I mean, he's had the spare losses before, the loss uh, at uh, Double or Nothing, or not Double or Nothing, All Out 2020, I believe it was, to uh, Moxley for the title. Uh, so there was that, but... The loss to Punk on the last pay-per-view, the likely loss uh, at this pay-per-view to Wardlow, which uh, we'll see if he's able to keep going through this feud, you know, Batista 2005 style. But uh, again, it's very, very interesting that MJF is, is getting to the point of having to do some high-profile jobs. It was inevitable at some point, the way that they built him up. You've got to start losing to some guys here, and he's at that point. 
and he's losing to guys who have been very protected in their own right, and he's very good at getting his heat back. But the convergence of when it's happening versus all the contract talk is what I find to be very interesting. Because I'll tell you this, if we start getting close to when his contract is coming up, that dude is going to be doing jobs left and right to pay back the people who put him over already. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's just the nature of the business. Uh, I mean, you know, you always put over the guys on your way out the door. I think this has been a very well-told story. This feud has been absolutely incredible. And if they play their cards right, um, AEW might have, you know, a very impressive homegrown star in Wardlow that isn't the indie darling. That, you know, they don't have a lot of, like, what do you say, Batista 2005. <laughs> right. what you want to about that, you know. There is a segment of the audience, myself included, who gets behind that. Again, people like winners. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can see the, them, you know, they, I don't, you don't see more of those the opening match kind of guys with his build, you know? I mean, and, and I, again, we'd have to see how much his, uh, his work rate has improved and how much he progresses along going on and what happens after this story. Because let's face it, Max is carrying the story. That's, that's, that's what Max does. But, um, it's, it's one of those where you know the finish is inevitable, but you still want to watch it happen. You know, you want to see it play out the way you want to see it play out. And, you know, uh, coming out of it in a, in a typical MJF fashion, you're going to be like, you know, yeah, I didn't even need the guy anyway. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Dismiss it. And then I agree with you. If it is, you know, his, if he is leaving in 2024, um, I absolutely agree with you. We will be seeing uh, much, much more of MJF putting over uh, people on his way out the door as, to quote, the great Vince McMahon is the time-honored tradition. Yes, absolutely, and he's going to be doing a lot of traditional uh, things in that regard uh, if he is heading out at that point. I saw an interview with Wardlow recently, and this is very encouraging because I think it's going to be necessary because I don't think you can stay over and stay relevant in a promotion like this, being Batista 2005, he was talking about his dream opponents, and he's talking about guys like Pac, and I think he might have mentioned uh, Ray Phoenix, and a couple of them, because he's like, I'm going to prove I'm more than just a monster. I'm going to prove I can work. And I read that, and I'm like, this guy might have a chance of being that big star then, because if he's just a big oaf doing the act he's doing now, and the act he's doing now is working, but it's working in the context of a feud against MJF. If you're going to be a big star working against everybody, you got to expand. And the fact that he is talking excitedly about, I'm going to show the world what I can do, I love to hear it, because then he has a chance of really being that star. And that could be very, very uh, exciting to see that happen. And, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, quite an aftermath here in this uh, feud and, uh, you know, seeing it go forward, uh, for whatever happens, how it unfolds from here. And then uh, it comes to the main event, and it's very interesting because there's been a little bit of criticism about uh, Hangman Adam Page's title run, and it, the chase has been better than the, the actual title run has been. But then again, it's one of the greatest chases of the 21st century, that two-year build uh, eventually the feud with the elite and going through them and culminating. And MJF, again, having two of the absolute great signature feuds in AEW. That's the thing. It's, it's a very, they weren't building the promotion completely around the world title as much as they were. Because remember, it was Omega. It was the uh, Young Bucks. It was the Elite. The whole thing was kind of revolving around them NWO style for a while there. Hangman gets the title, and it's a traditional 
you know, babyface title run kind of a deal. And he's one element at the top of the card, along with some other ones here. So you could make the case that MJF, again, should be headlining this card, just like everybody, I think, justifiably thought MJF and Punk uh, should have been the real headliner at Revolution. But uh, again, you know, Page has done a great job. He's worked great matches. They've been very compelling. He's done everything right. I don't think the booking has been all that bad. I think, uh, although again, how the Adam Cole stuff went, I felt like that was kind of a wet fart. We both kind of felt that way. But uh, the way that they're building this up here, uh, the intrigue of what is a face-versus-face uh, challenge here and uh, making Paige look a little bit more heelish in the lead-up, I'm starting to get the sense that this is a little bit of a red herring because if anybody is turning heel coming out of this thing, it's going to be Punk because there's so much you can do with heel Punk. And I think ultimately that may be the way it goes. I agree with what you said before that Punk should be coming out of this with the title business-wise. I believe he will be, but I believe it will be in a way that establishes Adam Page as a guy that the fans want to see get the title back. And I think he's going to be well set up for title run number two whenever that comes. I'd be intrigued to see that happen. I can see that. So maybe something akin to like a, to revisit Summer of Punk again, but do it right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or you know, you wanted me to get this, and him being like, ah, you know, I'm a snake. Now I've taken everything that you wanted. Like, it doesn't mean crap to me. You know, mm -hmm. I can see that, but I can also see them doing the traditional him winning as as a baby face and being like you know, and then Adam Adam Hangman Page goes back to his um, elite roots and becomes a heel member with the uh, with the rest of his elite buddies. I can also see that happening. So it'll be very intriguing to see where they go. But I think we both uh, agree that the time is now for them to switch the top championship. I agree with that, and here's what I was teasing before. This would be a very intriguing way to go, and I know with you being a real fanboy of the guy that I'm going to mention, I know how much you would enjoy seeing this scenario here. If we happen to see everything tie up with the whole, let's just call it Jericho-Kingston storyline, because they're sort of the kingpins of the two sides. If we see everything tie up with that by All Out, and if Punk is a heel champion at that time, I'm calling it right now. What could be better than Punk as a heel champion versus Kingston for the title at Arthur Ashe and Kingston takes the title? Will that be the pop of all pops if that happens? It would be the pop of all pops, but I don't see that happening so fast. Maybe not. AEW likes to do long runs with their champions, and I just don't see them switching it that quickly. I can see that match happening. But I just don't see the. I just. I just think it would be too soon. What are we in right now? We're almost into June, and when's Arthur Ashe going to be? September, um, late, summer, late September. September. Yeah. yeah I, I. I just don't see them switching it that that quickly. Um, it'd be great to see. I just. I just think that. Uh, I don't. I just don't think it, it, it matches up timing wise. It may not. Uh, and here's the thing too. And they're not going to do that match if they're at, at Arthur Ashe. They're not going to do that match if they don't put the belt on Kingston. That that's the epitome of the phrase "killing the town." If you if you do that match and Kingston doesn't take the title, so uh, again, much like Hangman Adam Page when he got the title shot against Omega, you knew which way that one was going. If Kingston gets that match, you know what way that one's going. So we'll have to see, but. Uh, I, I anticipate that this is going to be uh, a, a pretty good card. 
Uh, again, AEW has such high standards, you, you can't really throw around the word great that much because the bar is so high for them. I would say going in, this looks like a very good card. What say you? Uh, yeah, it looks like a, a very good card, but you know what? They've yet to disappoint me on pay-per-view. They always, everybody brings their A-game, and every match is always uh, quality entertainment, and uh, I think it's a, a, a situation of less is more, and, uh, because they only have four shows a year, and they try to do everything in their power to make all their big shows be, like, if you're a wrestling fan, going back to the very start of this conversation, this is the stuff for you to watch, because it's, it's going to be some, uh, some thoroughly entertaining professional wrestling that's going on this Sunday night, and, if, you know, we talked about last year's Double or Nothing was one of the greatest pay-per-views I've ever seen. I don't know if this year's going to be quite to that level, but I think everyone's going to bring their A game. I think we're going to see, based on Punk's uh, previous performances he's had in AEW and Hangin' Anna Page, I think that one is going to be, I think people aren't really not sleeping on it, but I don't think it's getting the hype quite that it deserves. I think that that match is going to be absolutely incredible. And uh, top to bottom, all the way up and down the card, I think everyone's going to bring their A game, and I think it's going to be a, a quality four and a half hours of professional wrestling on Sunday night. I agree, Jake Digman. I'm looking forward to it, and I know that a lot of people out there are as well. Nobody better to break these things down with uh, than you, my man, with your passion enthusiasm and knowledge of all things professional wrestling thank you as always my good friend the great fdh lounge dignitary jake digman